Well, welcome to the start of our new sermon series where we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit over the next couple of weeks. Now, you probably noticed beside me, I have a bowl of fruit, and there's a bit of a story behind this bowl of fruit. You see, about a year ago, Nadine and I moved into a new house in in the area here, and in the middle of our kitchen, we have a rather large island. And I'm not sure why, because I'm a guy, but apparently Nadine decided we needed a bowl of fruit to sit on the middle of this island. Now, while I don't fully understand why we have a bowl of fruit on the middle of the island, I I do like the convenience factor of it, because there's a variety of fruit that sits in there, and a lot of fruit that I like. There's bananas and apples, and sometimes we put kiwi in there. Sometimes the odd avocado works its way in there. I'm not quite sure how that happens. And then Nadine decided it needed some more color, so we went to Ikea and bought some uh, plastic lemons and limes, which look real, but they're actually just made of plastic. It's a beautiful display. But as we know from the variety of fruit that we find in this bowl, that not only does it look appealing in the kitchen, but but each of these items taste good, except maybe the fake limes, right? And they provide a a healthy snack for us. So if you ever come over to my home, you'll, you'll see this bowl of fruit on the island, and it'll be on the counter for you, and you are welcome to take a piece of fruit and enjoy that while you're with us. Each one of them will provide you with a unique experience because they each have their own shape, their, their own color, their own kind of way you have to prepare it to eat it. And, you know, a banana, you need to peel it a certain way. An orange, you peel a certain way. Sometimes people will cut an apple before they eat it. They have their own flavors. Apples taste sweet, and, and oranges have that citrusy flavor. The, the lemons in the bowl taste like a dentist because if you bite into those, you'll probably break your teeth and have to go visit the dentist but each of them offers a unique experience. So I wanted to just talk about that for a second as we begin this new series this summer about the fruit of the Spirit, which is based upon the bowl of fruit that Paul describes for us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23 through 24, when he says, The fruit of the Spirit is this. It is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, these are a list of virtues, unique characteristics of a follower of Jesus Christ who is living under the direction of the Holy Spirit and in his or her life. These are words that define what other people should experience when they encounter a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, we look at a bowl of fruit like this, and there are many fruits within that bowl, but, but what Paul's talking about here is referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, it's, it's singular. It's not fruits. It's fruit of the Spirit. And there's two reasons for this. One, it refers to the fruit as a whole. Kind of like in, in some of the southern states, they use the word y'all to be a, a pronoun that refers to a singular group of people. They'll be like, all y'all fruits, for example. But the other reason it's singular, the main reason, in fact, that it's singular, is that it's referencing a collective whole that finds its source in a single place. That single place being the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promised to send to all of those who had committed their lives to him and were striving to follow in step with him. When, when he said in John chapter 24 that he was going to send the Holy Spirit to teach us all things and to remind us of everything that he taught us. So this is not a technical series on defining the fruit of the Spirit. What I'm hoping we will achieve in these coming weeks throughout this summer 
is that this will be a series on how we can understand what it means to be more fruitful by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So before we go any further, I want to ask you a question. How is your fruitfulness? Like when you examine the fruitfulness of your life, is there an abundance of fruit? Or perhaps not. If somebody were to come by and sample the the fruit, metaphorically speaking, of your life, would it be tasty? Would it be desirable? Just as these fruits are healthy to eat, would, would your fruit be healthy to that person, to their encounter with you, to their relationship with you? You see, each week we're going to look at a different particular fruit, which is important for us to see as individuals within the collective whole. We're going to look at a biblical example for each one. And and it's my hope that we will see ourselves, but also that others will see and experience in us what the psalmist says, what David said when he wrote in Psalm 34, Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. May people come and encounter us and through their encounter with us see and taste that the Lord is good because of the fruitfulness that he creates within us. So as we begin this series today, I want to start by just in, in kind of introducing what's behind this metaphor of the fruit of the Spirit, but then also start to move into this idea of how we can begin to be more fruitful. So we find this term, the fruit of the Spirit, near the end of a letter that Paul wrote to a conflicted church in a place called Galatia. And within this church, there were, there were many believers of Jesus Christ, people who accepted that Jesus was the Son of God who had come to pay the price for their sins, and, and they all collectively held a belief in that. But some of them also still held to the Old Testament law, saying that, that that was still binding because that provided for them a moral code, a way of knowing how to live their lives, and as well, it provided rituals that they could use for the purpose of repentance, these people would say things like, well, well, how are we supposed to know what's right and what's wrong unless it's written down somewhere? Or, or how will I know how to make penance when I slip up along the day? Now, this is actually a natural way for many people in our world to think. And, and Christians are not immune from this way of thinking either. Most of us like laws and structure in our society. That way we know when we're out of bounds and we know how to fix it and get back in bounds. And the law provided this moral code. The law provided these rituals for them to know how to earn God's favor. But Paul comes along. And Paul says that they are no longer under the law. And in fact, he doesn't say they're no longer under the law. In fact, he says that the law didn't fix anything. In fact, the law made things worse. And this wasn't the first time that he had encountered this. He actually found the same problem in the church in Rome. And and when he addressed it in that letter, here's what he said. Romans chapter 5.20, he says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. You see, what does that mean? What he's talking about here is that people who are left to their own nature, People who are just free to live by their own kind of desires and drives and, and just left to their own impulses, tend to live contrary to God. But, but as they do that, they do things that they think, you know, that might, that might be out of bounds, that might, might be across the line, uh, but this idea of right and wrong is somewhat subjective. 
And we know that we're all really good at rationalizing the things we do that perhaps might be wrong. For example, somebody might say, well, well I, I know the bike wasn't mine, but, but I was late for work and I had to get there. And besides, well, I may have inconvenienced the person who actually owns the bike. I, my job helps a lot more people than just that one. And so at the end of the day, it was a fair trade. Or, or you might say, you know, I, I know I raised my voice at my mom, but, but you don't know the kind of day that I had. And besides, my mom loves me. She understands. It's okay. But see, what Paul's saying is that when the law came in, the law defined these acts as sin. It put the label of sin upon them and removed the subjectivity. And it turned it from the subjective, able to rationalize it away, to saying objectively, no, you are living in open rebellion to God. You know when you wanted that bike and you took it? And you felt bad about it afterwards? Yeah, that's because it's called coveting and sin. It's because it's called stealing and it's a sin. It's wrong. The law also says, remember when you were mean to your mom the other day? Yeah, that's because you're dishonoring your mother. That, that's contrary to God's law. You see, when, when the law came in, it removed the subjectivity and moved it into the object. So it wasn't that, that there were more sins going on. It's that people now had more sins they couldn't get around, couldn't get beyond, and it was being condemned, condemning to them. So instead, Paul comes along. And he says to this church in Galatia, no, no, you are free from that condemnation. You are free from the condemnation of the law because we are under God's grace now. And see, Paul finishes the verse in Romans chapter 5 where he says, the law was brought in so that trespasses may increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You see, when the law makes sin increase, in those situations, God's grace gets supercharged and increases even more. So, so what is this grace? Let's make sure we're clear on this idea of what grace is. See, see, grace is referred to as this unmerited favor of God. Meaning when you earn the bad, God still gives you the good. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. Not that our sins don't matter. That's not the good news. The good news is not that our sins don't matter, but that our sins have been dealt with. That we've been set free from them. That we are no longer declared guilty. We are no longer condemned by them. We are no longer defined by them. And this is some of the background of what's happening in Galatia as Paul starts to move towards this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, a natural rebuttal to this argument, and you may already be thinking it, is this. Well, if there's no law, just grace, then aren't we free to indulge in whatever we want? This was actually the fear of those in Galatia who were clinging to the Old Testament law. They were saying things like, well, well, without consequences, won't people just indulge in like every kind of fleshly desire? And Paul doesn't deny the possibility of this, but he confronts this idea by saying, yeah, not necessarily. Because you see, when a person receives the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, a transformation takes place in their lives. They become a new creation. They, they die to the old self. They die to the bondage of sin. So if we've died to that and we become made new, why would we ever want to live in that manner any longer? See, I've experienced this in my, my time as a pastor. Whenever I have the chance to lead somebody to Christ and then have an opportunity to, to journey with them for a little while afterwards, it doesn't take long 
before they come back to me and they say something along the lines of, something's different in my life. And people are noticing. You know, the things I used to do, I, I just don't want to do those things anymore. The way I used to talk, it, it just seems wrong and it's changing. The, the jokes I used to laugh at, they just aren't funny anymore. Like, like is there something wrong with me or is this... Is this natural? And I say, you know what? That's the transformation that starts to take place when Jesus comes into a person's life. We are no longer the same. You see, when you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he does not change what you did, but he does change what you want to do going forward. And in Paul's argument here that he establishes in the church of Corinth, and, and this is an argument he establishes throughout the entire book of, of, of uh, Galatians, essentially. He draws it to a point where he says there are these two distinct paths that all of us can choose to live by, each producing its own fruit in our lives. One is the way of the flesh. The other is the way of the spirit. We can either live under the freedom of God's grace made possible by Jesus Christ, or we can live apart from him and remain slaves to sin. And he describes it this way in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, when he says, So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're no longer under the law. See, the core issue here, the core issue at hand, is all about identity. And the fruit that is produced in a person's life based upon their identity. Consider the story, a beautiful story I once heard of a man who had a crabapple tree planted in his backyard. And as you know, crabapples only produce one kind of fruit, a, a rather sour, small, unpleasant type of fruit. And he himself didn't actually like crabapples. So all the fruit from the tree, he essentially just kind of threw away. So it was a problem for him, but he didn't want to get rid of the tree because he, he loved the tree. He, he intentionally had planted it. He, he had cared for it and nurtured it to a degree of health. But one day he made a decision. So the gardener went out to his backyard and he came up with the idea and he made a diagonal cut across the trunk of the crabapple tree. And then he took a fresh green section of stem with an identical cut from a different tree. And he spliced that onto the tree, the crabapple tree's trunk. He wrapped it, sealed it, braced it, and made the splice complete. But then before leaving, he did one more thing. He went to a branch on the trunk of the tree. He cut off the old tag, and he attached a new tag that said, Golden Delicious Apples. Now in a few months, buds started to appear on the branches above the splice line. And those blossoms eventually turned into apples. When the apples started to grow, they were not crab apples anymore. Instead, they were golden, delicious apples. Why? Because it was no longer a crab apple tree. Instead, it was a golden, delicious tree. That was its true identity. But, funny as it may sound, the tree had identity issues. <laughs> you see, because below the graft line, there are these things called sucker shoots. 
that could still grow out. And if they were not cut off, if they're allowed to grow and they're allowed to blossom, they would still create crab apples. And if left alone long enough, they could start to dominate the whole tree and steal the life from the top half of the tree. And if that happened, it would just grow wild and produce sour fruit again, which was contrary to its true identity, which was still as a golden, delicious apple tree. Just not a very healthy one in that particular situation if that was allowed to happen. See, I tell you this story because each of us are that tree based upon the path we choose to walk. And based upon that path, we'll determine the fruit that we produce, the fruit that is revealed from our identity. Without Christ, we're like the crab apple tree, producing bitter, sour fruit, not highly sought after by others at all. But in Christ, our label is changed. The tag says golden delicious, and we produce sweet, good fruit that is valued in stores and in fruit stands across the land. Now, for those of us who grew up in Edmonton and in this particular climate our whole lives, you may get used to this idea of crab apples because it's, to a great extent, a lot of what we can grow here. And you may settle for that. And it's just as a lot of people settle for a life living according to the flesh. But when we get a different frame of reference, we realize it's not actually that good. You see, I spent a time living in Kamloops, so I have a bit of a different frame of reference. And when I lived in Kamloops, the house that we owned, it had a cherry tree in the front yard, a peach tree in the backyard, as well as a pear tree, a plum tree, and an apple tree. And I can tell you this, nobody in the Okanagan is intentionally growing crab apples because they've experienced something better. So as you consider that, I return to my question from the start of my message today. How is your fruitfulness? How is the abundance of your fruitfulness? If somebody were to sample your fruit, would it be tasty? Would it be desirable? Would it be good for them? And as I ask that question, I, I, I'm not questioning your salvation. See, what I'm doing is I'm trying to challenge you to examine what your faith is producing. See, when you look inside yourself, when you reflect upon, when you reflect upon what others experience from you, do they experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? As you consider these words, I'm going to hazard a guess here that some of them you feel okay about, but there's others you know very well you still have some work to do. And the reason I know that is because of some of the thoughts I have within my own mind at times, as well as what people commonly come to me and say, such as, you know, I, I got to work harder at being more loving. Other times I hear people say, I, I, I got to make a way for more joy to exist in my life. But as we consider the fruit of the Spirit today, I, I need you to understand that that's not how it works. When we think those sorts of things and we try to do those sorts of things, that's actually an example of sucker shoot thinking. Remember those sucker shoots that grow to the old identity because if it's a matter of me working harder to be more loving or me manufacturing more opportunities for joy, that's about self-determination. It's about me trying to earn it. It's about me trying to do things that are in line similar to the law. And the idea that today when I get out of bed, I will muster enough effort 
that will be required for me to be more loving. What does that resemble more? Being surrendered to the Spirit or being committed to the works of the flesh? You see, if you want to be more loving, the way to do that is not to trust more in yourself. The way to do that is to press deeper into your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it is through a deeper walk with him that the Holy Spirit will produce greater fruit in your life. Jesus talked about this in John 15 when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, consider, where does a branch's ability to bear fruit come from? Well, it comes from the life force that, that is found in the root, like in the vine that it's connected to. The branch itself has no power on its own. A branch can sit on a tree and, and strain as hard as it wants to produce fruit, but nothing on its own. Likewise, you can take a hose from your garden and, and you can shake that hose all you want to get water out of it, but if it's not connected to the tap, nothing's going to happen. But in both cases, the tree and the hose were both created for a purpose. And when they get connected to the empowering source, then something starts to happen. If you remember only one thing from today's message, if you carry only one thing with you forward from today into this whole series, may this be it. The fruit of the Spirit are not disciplines. See, disciplines are these things that we do under self-determination, where I have to do more effort, I need to do more, I need to be better. The fruit of the Spirit are not disciplines. The fruit of the Spirit are miracles. You see, what does that mean? Miracles are God's activity breaking through into the world through your life. The fruit of the Spirit are not disciplines. They are the miracles of God that exist in your life. If you agree with that, if you like that, if you want to hold that with you, I encourage you right now, just in the comment section of the screen, to type that phrase. The fruit of the Spirit are not disciplines. They are miracles. That will help you to remember that phrase as we go forward. Now, some of us are these golden, delicious apple trees where the miracle of God's fruit is hanging on our branches. But as you reflect upon those questions I ask you, how's your fruitfulness? You're reflecting and going, you know, I'm just not satisfied with it. I'm not satisfied with the abundance, with, with, with the taste of my fruit. And others aren't blessed by it. Others aren't benefited from it. So what's happening? How can those two things exist? Well, I first want to tell you that your identity in Jesus Christ is secure. You see, the tag that is on you still says golden delicious apples, but I want to suggest that if you are developing that type of fruit, but you're not happy with the abundance and the quality of it, you are growing wild. What does that mean? I don't mean like wild, like going crazy. I mean you're, you're like a tree that is out in the wilderness that is not being cared for and tended to properly compared to the trees that would exist in an orchard. That has a gardener who would come by and care for it and therefore be more fruitful. A gardener who would come and do what needs to happen to prevent pests from, from gnawing at the fruit and, and making the tree sick. A gardener who will make sure that the right nutrients are provided for that tree to grow strong and healthy. 
a gardener who comes along and prunes off the unhealthy, unproductive limbs so that the healthy ones can flourish and therefore have a quality and abundance of fruit that increases significantly. And that can happen in you. See, metaphorically speaking, this, this idea of being in an orchard is like being in Christian community, like being in the church where there's others around us who can nurture us, care for us, and, and, and protect us. This idea of having the right nutrients is, is metaphoric for this idea that we can, we can learn about the gardener, we can encounter the gardener through the word of God. When we have our space and our place and our daily lives as we open God's word and, and learn about his love and his plan and his will for us. We can be pruned, as it says also in John 15, that God is the gardener who prunes off the parts of us that is not productive, that, that are not according to the work he wants to do in us. And while that can be a difficult process, it is a necessary one if we are going to grow healthy, if we are going to live lives that experience the fruit of the Spirit so that we and others can come and say, taste and see that the Lord is good. So let me ask you another question. If we did that, like, like if we made sure that we were not just growing wild, but we were actually planted in community, in relationship with the Lord. If we were pressing deeper into that relationship with God so that we could have a better abundance of fruit. If we were doing that as followers of Jesus Christ. If we were doing that as a church collectively, how would our relationships be different? How would our church be different? What about our communities? How, how would our communities be different? You see, this is a critical question. Because when we consider the context in which Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, the, the conflicted nature of what's happening there, see, underlying this whole declaration of the fruit of the Spirit are these, these interconnected relationships. These relationships that we have with other people. See, the fruit of spirit is directly connected to our interactions with one another within our worshiping community as well as in our surrounding community. And that's why the theme and the title of the series is Be Fruitful. Because it's my hope that as we go through these weeks, we will be able to develop in ourselves healthier fruit for the benefit of others. Now, Paul clarifies this for us as well as he discusses this presentation on the fruit of the Spirit. If we just back up a little bit before he lists them in, in verses 13 and 14. Where he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, as, as, as some people were worried was going to happen. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, this law they are clinging to, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul goes on to list love as the first expression of the fruit of spirit. Essentially echoing what Jesus had said first in John 13 when he said this about his followers, Everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. You know, and it burdens me that when I come across these different surveys and when I talk to people in the community and, and find out uh, what do they think disciples are known for. 
and the responses that I get are, are more about what the church is against. Not our church in particular, but, but, but the Western church as a whole. When, when I hear about, more about where Christians will not go, about who is not permitted, when these are the things that the world seems to define the followers of Christ by, it burdens me. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should just accept and resemble the world around us. I'm not saying that there isn't truth that we have to speak into the world. But the reason I'm burdened by this is because God so loved the world enough that he gave his one and only son. And we as his followers are called to model this type of love. It's not just about our activity. Again, it's not just about us mustering up enough loving activity in the world around us, choosing to do more loving things. Because the love that God showed in sending his son for the world flowed from his identity. And so too it needs to flow from our identity, not from just some occasional choices that we make. See, the Bible does not say God is loving. In 1 John 4, 8, it says God is love. That means that love defines his nature, and his nature defines love. That's why love is not about being a discipline where we just muster more effort. The love here that we're talking about is a miracle of God in your life. It finds its source in God himself and in his presence in our lives that allows the fruit of love to be possible. Now this idea of love, the best way we can understand love is is to acknowledge that love is experiential. That means that if I ask you to define love, you're probably going to default to examples. You're going to default to experiences of love that you've had. Love is experiential. Therefore, you cannot know nor show a love you yourself have not first experienced. Consider, for example, if I were to ask somebody to describe chocolate, who had, but they'd never eaten it, they wouldn't be able to do it. Or if I asked you to describe to them what chocolate is like, it's difficult to do. If I asked you to describe to me what it's like to go skydiving, because I've never had that experience, I, I, I wouldn't fully comprehend it because I haven't experienced it. The same thing is true with love. Is that the way we experience it best, the way that we experience that God is love, is through our experience with him as our sacrificial savior. As God sacrificially gave himself upon the cross for us. We read this as we continue in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, say, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent us his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, there are some very loving people in this world. But if their experience of love is limited to this world, it has its limits. It has its boundaries that won't go beyond. See, the Bible talks about this when it says that we will sacrifice ourselves in love for those who will love us back. It also says very rarely, if ever, will we sacrifice ourselves out of love for a stranger. And that we would never do so for someone who hates us. Consider the reality of that. 
Last time you watched the news and you heard of some sort of heinous crime that a person had committed against, uh, against a people group or against, let's even think of a difficult situation where they, a heinous time uh, crime committed against a child. As you listen to that story on the news, have you ever said, I wish I could take his place? I wish I could take his punishment upon myself. I'm going to bet you have never said that because I know I have never said that. But Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still living opposed to him, in conflict with him, Jesus Christ died for us. You see, love is experiential. And once you hear about this love of God, and once you experience this love within yourselves, it will have an effect upon you. And it will have a personal response that's demanded. And quite often people, when they encounter and understand the reality of that love that God has for them, the response is to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that while I was still the worst of the sinners, while I was still an enemy of God, while I was still opposed to you, while I was living contrary to you, even in the midst of that, creating a separation between me and you, God, because I... I I am sinful and you are not. And, and God, you know that I was trying with the law to, to try to earn your love. I was trying to earn your righteousness. God, you know the effort I put into it. You know how I tried, but I could not solve the problem. But you love me enough to stand in the gap and to pay the price for my sin. Because of that and because I say thank you, I have been transformed. I am now a new creation. I am no longer bearing crab apples, but golden, delicious apples. I am bearing good fruit in my life for the benefit of others. See, folks, love is experiential. And when you experience the love of God, a change happens. And when that change happens in you, it motivates and it animates that love in us and through us. And as we respond to God's love in us, and it changes us, others can experience it through us as the fruit of the Spirit. And then, whether we encounter people in our homes, in our church, we encounter them in a community or anywhere in the world, everyone will know that we are his followers by our love. See, the fruit of love is not a discipline. It is a miracle of God lived out for us, in us, and through us. Have you ever taken that step of responding and affirming to God's love for you? Maybe you've been searching and you've been striving in the self-effort, just trying to earn God's approval. Maybe you've been trying to do that for years in your life and, and wondering, why do I never feel like I'm making up any ground? Why do I feel like a hamster in a wheel? It just keeps on spinning and the effort's there, but nothing is ever happening. It's because God loved you enough to make the first move that you couldn't make on your own. See, Jesus Christ has already opened the way for you to have a personal relationship with God. All that is required is your response to his love for you. And you can do that right now, right where you were sitting, right where you were listening to this message. Even though we are talking through a screen right now, he is there with you. 
And if you want to respond and affirm God's love for you and say, thank you, Jesus, for your gift of love and for freeing me from the sin of my life, you can click on that box in the comment section right now and say that you are giving your life to Christ. You can also click on the box that says live prayer and somebody will come and pray with you about that decision that you're making. Maybe you have accepted Christ in the past, but as I've been talking today, you say, you know what, I'm more like that wild apple tree. I know I'm bearing fruit, but by no means to the extent that I could be. By no means to the extent that I could be. If that's the case, then today you need to stop trying to do it on your own and press into a deeper walk with the Spirit of God by abiding in Jesus Christ, that you may bear good fruit through being the fruit of the Spirit. If that's where you find yourself today, I invite you to click on that box as well and join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miracle of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you created in us what we could not create in ourselves. And first and foremost, Lord we, Lord, we acknowledge that we cannot create righteousness within ourselves. We cannot make ourselves right with you, Lord. And so for those who are listening to my voice right now, who know that truth and need to respond to it, who have just responded to it, Lord, I pray that you would bless them, Lord, and help them to walk in a deeper relationship with you. Help to make themselves known by clicking on that box and by clicking on the prayer, by, by even contacting us in the office here this week that we, we may journey with them into a deeper relationship with you. Lord, I pray for those as well who, who acknowledge that, that while they have made that profession of faith at one time in their lives, they have started to wander. They've allowed those sucker shoots to get bigger than they ever should have gotten. That They're starting to be more dominant in their life than they ever should be allowed to be. And that today they need to be cut off that the ways of the flesh, the habitual sins, the challenges, the ways that are contrary to walking by the Spirit, Lord, that we would confess those things, that we would separate ourselves from those things, and that we would decide to recommit our lives today in this moment to walk according to the way of the Spirit, that we would know the abundance of the fruit of the Spirit, and that others, when they encounter us, Lord, that they would come and taste that you, Heavenly Father, are good. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Again, just want to remind you there's an opportunity for live prayer right now during this message. As well as during the week, you can feel free to contact us here in the office and we would love to to enter into your story and your journey and to walk with you for a while and to help you grow deeper in your life with Christ, whether it's your first step in a new direction or if you're recommitting yourself or wanting to press further into that relationship. As we've talked about these being different ways that we can respond to the love of God, we have one more very critical, important way that we can respond to God's love today. And that being through the taking of communion together. So I'm going to lead you in that in just a moment. But I want to give you a second to to prepare yourselves, to prepare your hearts, but also to prepare your elements at the home where you are. And and if if it's kind of sneaking up on you here and you weren't prepared in advance, find whatever uh, symbolic beverage or symbolic uh, bread or cracker you may have that can be used for for those two elements. I'll give you a moment to do that. Then we'll see you back here. And I'll lead us in a time of communion.
As we gather around the communion table together for an opportunity for us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made out of his love for us. I want to begin by reflecting upon a verse that I read just a few moments ago. The one found in 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 through 10 where we read, This is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that's exactly what we are focusing and remembering upon when we come to this table. We have here before us the bread, symbolic of Christ's body, which was offered in place of ours. We have also the cup, symbolic of his blood, which was shed, that as he gave his life for us. The, the greatest paradox in history took place where through his death we received life, eternal life, that we could be with him forever. And so these are the things that we recall right now that, that are the symbols, the means of our salvation, of, of our being made right before God. It's not of anything we did in and of ourselves. This is the fruit of the Spirit. is a miracle that God does in us. So too is the righteousness that we can have before him because of Jesus Christ. It's something he did for us. And so our response is to say thank you and to remember and to allow his work of sacrificial love to transform us so that we also may bear fruit so that others may come to be transformed by him as well. So I invite you now, with whoever you're gathered with, to participate with me in the distribution of the elements. We read about the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples, where it says that he took the bread, and after he gave thanks for it, he, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I invite one of you now to, to distribute the bread amongst those with whom you're gathered. And as you do that, we turn our attention to the cup, symbolic of Christ's blood, which at that same dinner, after supper, he took the cup and he says, this cup is symbolic of the new covenant made in his blood. And we are to remember him whenever we drink of it. So I invite you also to distribute the cup amongst those with whom you're gathered with now. I'm going to offer a prayer for both the bread and the cup. And then we're going to go to a time of singing. And during this next song coming up, you yourselves will just take a moment of reflection. Take a moment to, to remember and to say thank you to Jesus. And then take those elements together with those with whom you're gathered. And then I'll see you back here as we close our service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what the bread and the cup symbolizes. It symbolizes life. It symbolizes love. Both of which we understand are from you, defined by you, and can be experienced through you. God, I pray that each of us would take this moment right now, just in our hearts, to confess to you anything that may be wayward, may be contrary to your will, your plan for our lives, that we may take this opportunity of communion to, to recommit and to redirect ourselves towards your plan for our lives, that we would live a life honoring the sacrifice that you've made here for us. 
And as we do that, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you that you loved us so much to send your son to die in our place. That we can not only remember, but also live eternally with you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.